0: Welcome, everyone. Um, I'm a home gardener. I am not an expert. I'm not a horticulturalist. I am not a market farmer. So this is going to be more friend talking with friend. things that I've learned, things that I've, you know, done wrong, a lot more wrong than right. And uh, hopefully we can share a little bit of information that can help us as home gardeners to grow some figs. So why don't we go ahead and start with a word of prayer? And we will dive right in. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning and for this conference in which we have learned so much. I pray that you will guide us as we contemplate this uh, amazing fruit that you have created for us to enjoy, uh, the fig, and teach us something that we can apply when we go home to our gardens, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just to warm up a little bit, uh, what is the first fruit? tree that was ever mentioned in the Bible? No? I, uh, I kind of tricked you there, right, in the, in the title of my slide. I heard the answer. It's the tree of life, right? They ate the fruit off the tree of life. So what's the second fruit tree? Yeah, you, you're getting the flow here. And what's the third fruit tree? Then we have the fig, because we know what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned. They sewed aprons together using fig leaves. And I know there's a lot of spiritual application here, and I'm not here to preach a sermon, but figs, we we mentioned many things that have persisted after Eden. And figs happened to be one of the fruits that we know was named in the Garden of Eden that we still have today. We assume many of the fruits were there. Uh, but that's the one that is actually named. And so that's why my, my, my presentation is entitled Growing Fruit from Eden. But also in the Old Testament, figs are mentioned over and over. And uh, we always hear about the story of the 12 spies going into the land of Canaan, and the big bunch of grapes always gets the headlines. But if we read the verse, they didn't just bring back grapes, right? In Numbers 13, they brought back you know a, a cluster of grapes that they had to hold it between two people. But what else did they bring? They brought of them pomegranates and the figs. So I found a picture where they actually included the figs, right, in the in the basket. And also, not only that, we think of the term land flowing with milk and honey. It's the the imagery, the metaphor to describe the promised land. But there's another one that is frequently used for the promised land and God's promise to Israel, and that is this other verse, and Judah and Israel dwell safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. So there's this idea: every man dwelling under his fig tree is this imagery of God's ideal in the promised land, in our country homes, growing our garden, the the land of peace. Right, as long as they are faithful and obedient to God, and then also in other places it says, uh, if you are unfaithful, the enemies will come and they will eat of your figs and will cut their trees, your trees down. So very biblical imagery with the fig and in the new testament of course jesus uses the fig tree to illustrate many things the fig tree grown in the vineyard representing the children of israel and he cursed a fig tree that didn't bear any fruit we all remember that story and he also uses the fig to talk about end time prophecy you know the time of the you know the figs you you know that the summer is here and so forth so figs are a quintessential biblical fruit and that's one of the reasons why i'm so interested in them but let's talk about some other reasons why we grow figs or why people grow figs and why they are so popular today. And this might give you some, uh, <clears throat> some inspiration as well. So number one, and this is probably the most important reason, is that well-ripened figs are delicious. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. And more than that, a perfectly ripe fig will never be found in a grocery store. It is physically impossible to do it. Perfect figs must come straight from the tree. One of the reasons I'll mention now is that figs are extremely delicate. They just don't ship. If you've ever had a fig, it's it's like jam, a packet of jam on the tree. And you try to pack that, you ship it, it's going to become you know rotten jam by the time it gets to the store. Um, and also, you can't ripen figs on the counter. They have to be ripened on the tree. And so, and the difference between a slightly underripe fig and a perfectly ripe fig. Is like puckery you know like burning your tongue type of off-putting flavor versus you know an existential experience of you know heavenly fruit so uh, and and the window can be quite narrow you know to get the right right fig so you really do have to grow your own and that's why it's a home gardeners type of uh, a fruit you're not going to find in the store Uh, they can also be aesthetically beautiful they can also be aesthetically not beautiful as well if we don't take care of them. Uh, they're also highly adaptable to many different regions, as we've been discussing slightly already. They're very fast-growing, early fruiting, so they're not like a pear tree where you're growing them for your grandkids. You can actually root a fig and have fruit off of it the same year. It is possible to root a fig in, or in, in the winter, and by that summer, you can be picking figs off the tree. It is conceivable. It's not guaranteed, right? But it is possible. Uh, and figs are relatively low-maintenance. And we're always looking for the no-spray fruits, right? Uh, and figs are one of those fruits that really don't require spraying. Um, relatively few pests. There are always pests, of course, but, uh, and also very few diseases. And, of course, we all know about the fig jams, and you know we can preserve figs quite easily for later use. They're easy to propagate, so they're fun for learning. You know, It's a great tree to start if you're trying to graft uh, you, can, you can use figs as a trial specimen. And there's also a very vibrant hobbyist community. And so that means there's lots of information available to learn and to interact with people. In fact, in the fig community, I've had even outreach opportunities. I've shared literature with people and, you know, spiritual conversations because there's just a lot of interest around figs for all of these reasons. In fact, uh, there is also some, th- there is an addiction quality to figs. Uh, fig growers sometimes call themselves fig-aholics, uh, fig fanatics. There's a joke that fig fever is more contagious than COVID-19. Uh, and you will see once you start going into the forums that people can get kind of crazy. And <clears throat> I happen you'll, you'll see that I actually have been severely afflicted with that ailment. ailment. But anyhow, we'll get there. So this just gives you a flavor of the rainbow, right? Figs can come in all shapes and sizes, different uh, colors. It also has uh, variegation stripes. Uh, There are the dark figs, light figs, different pulp types. And there's a range of flavors. So there's the base fig, which we all kind of assume is like a fig newton, just kind of the fig figgy flavor or the black mission fig. Uh, There's a whole lot more than that. In fact, this comes from a site called mountainfigs.net and there are many people who have taken the effort to you know create charts and graphs to identify flavor profiles and characteristics based on uh, exterior color, pulp color and they group and categorize and then it creates uh, a map right for people a chart for people to start, Obtaining figs to match all of the different colors of the rainbow and all the flavor profiles, and so part of the addictive, addictive quality is once, and I, I can say from experience, once you've had one of those top-tier, exquisite, perfectly ripened figs, you're on this journey to find the next better, you know, the better one or the best fig, and so people just start growing their own, and because they grow so fast, you're able to have fairly quick, you know, uh, positive reinforcement. Uh, And then there's a whole trading community, so people can trade trees and cuttings and so forth. And so some collectors have made it their objective to have all the profiles covered. And this is part of the reason why you'll see later why I have so many trees. That's part of the reason how I got into it. So let's start with what is most important, right? How do you pick a right fig? Uh, Because some of us already have fig trees. And this, I believe, is one of the things that can help immediately improve our fig quality is just knowing how to pick them. Because my first experience with figs, my landlord in Tennessee, he said, there's a lady in town. She has some big fig trees. She's too old to pick them. She lets us pick them. We just pay her five bucks, and she lets us pick all we want. And I went, and I was just picking them, and I had no idea. I just picked whatever, you know, looked right. And I realized when I got home, some of the figs were really good, but some of them were really bad. But they looked almost the same. So... What's the difference? Alright, so this, this, these three pictures show you some of the contraindications, meaning they might look ripe, but they're not fully ripe. The first is a stiff neck. So you notice the picture here, there are two figs in the foreground. Actually, neither of them look ripe. The one on the upper section there, you can tell the neck is still very stiff. When figs ripen, the neck gets soft and it droops down like a teardrop. And the one, even though the, the bottom one is darker and it's hanging down more, I can just, based on the picture, tell you it could take a little bit more time on the, on the tree to hang a little bit more because it's not you know, just dangling as loosely as it should. The second one is a little bit uh, indicator after the fact. If you pick the fig off and it's oozing the white latex, that is, that's the number one reason why you can tell that it's not ripe. And the fig latex can be very caustic it can burn you. Some people also have quite severe allergic reactions to it, so you don't want to get on your skin. Uh, Even though some people say it's a natural remedy for warts or something like that, I've never tried it, that's just all I've heard. Um, And so what I realized was all the figs that I picked that were good from the tree were dry at the stem, whereas the ones that were oozing sap were unripe, and those you can actually taste the latex, and if you pick the fig and it has white, white sap coming out, you know that it is too early. And figs also swell before they ripen. And swelling is not in and of itself an indication of ripeness. All it means is it has hit that last ripening stage, which we affectionately in the hobbyist community, we call it hang time. Like it's entering the hang time zone where it, is, it just has to wait now. And depending on the variety of fig, it may stay in that expanded, swelled state for weeks. And just because it's swollen, and you can see, it can be two or three times larger than the unripened figs next to it, uh, that doesn't mean it's ripe yet, okay? So don't just go by sight. You have to go by several other things. So this picture here on the, your left-hand side is a riper fig. So here we have the neck is soft, so it's dangling down. You start seeing some, some cracking in the skin. It doesn't always crack, but that indicates the skin is getting soft. It has been swelling and has had a long hang time. The only way to really tell at that stage is you just have to feel it. Figs, you have to get touchy-feely with your figs. You just have to. Uh, In order to know if they're ripe, you have to feel the fruit. And it's a great excuse to go out in your orchard, right? Spend time in the garden. And the other thing is the color. Of course, color by itself is not indicative, but this is another reason why figs just will never do well in the grocery store is that for, particularly for light colored figs, the green and the yellow types of color figs, for them to be really ripe, sometimes they have to look almost rotten. Like, you look at the picture here, it doesn't look appetizing. But this picture is the inside of a fig that looks like that on the outside. Okay, so you, you know, God looks on, doesn't look on the outward appearance, He looks at the heart. We have to do the same with our figs, okay? The outward appearance of a fig, generally speaking, is going to look ugly as sin. (laughs) If it is really going to be ripe and scrumptious, sometimes it looks like it's dehydrated on the tree even, and it might look like it's rotten. Now, of course, sometimes the fig can be rotten, and you need to know the difference. Um, But of course, having the dark interior uh, is going to be the biggest indicator, and you see the white pith around the inside. You want that to be thin, right? If it's growing out to the Uh, exterior, that's when you know, okay, it's really ripe. And generally, ripened figs, if it is perfectly ripe on the tree, particularly where I live in Tennessee, you have a limited window, maybe one or two days, that you have to pick it before it goes bad. Now, if you live out west, or where it has a drier, more arid climate, uh, it can hang for a lot longer. And it's actually better for you to let it hang longer, because it concentrates the flavor, kind of dehydrates on the tree. So, depends on your climate. If you have a humid climate like I do, You have a limited window so you want to make sure you're in your orchard and checking on them regularly during ripening time so we have to talk about the most important physical characteristic of the fig all right this affects everything what selection you pick how you know it does in humidity pests and all of that and that is the osteo of the fig or called the fig eye and it is at the bottom of the fig and it's the (laughs) opening of the fig and uh, this has to do with pollination and, and all that we'll talk about that in a moment So we have three examples here of a closed-eye fig, a plugged-eye fig, and an open-eye fig. And as you can imagine, a closed-eye fig is going to be better for pests, pathogens, uh, bugs, you know, things of that nature. A plugged-eye fig is an open-eye fig that actually oozes like a drop of resin. And it's really interesting. It looks like liquid, but it's really like a piece of amber when when you actually pick at it. And it can plug it and it keeps the bugs out. Uh, And then the open eye fig, it is what it is, it's open. And the problem with having an open eye on your fig is that it lets humidity in, and along with that it could be pathogens that come, and and, uh, fungal issues, and pests, and bugs, and things like that. So, depending on where you live, knowing what type of eye your fig has is the number one thing you wanna figure out of the variety that you're gonna grow. So for those of us in the southeast where we have high humidity, We're going to want to lean towards a closed-eye fig or a smaller eye fig because that helps with humidity issues, with bugs and fungus and all of that. And generally speaking, and this is very general, is that smaller figs have tighter eyes, whereas the larger figs tend to have bigger eyes, okay? And if you're out west in California where it's dry, uh, well, you can grow any kind of fig you want, so I'm not going to, you know... I'm just jealous, I guess. And aesthetically, figs can be very beautiful. I have this I have this same variety of fig in my in my garden, and you know, I've I've got 50 trees and they're lined up and they're pretty close together. Invariably, every single time somebody walks through my little driveway fig orchard, they notice the variegated variety. It sticks out. It just it just lights up and they're like, "Wow." And that's the one that you know my mom wants a copy of you know propagate one of those trees because it looks pretty and even the wood is striped and there are all sorts of different stripes uh, colors figs that you can use and little hot air balloons in your garden that's what they look like and figs are also great for espalier growing because they grow so quickly and also their their branches are so flexible people can do all sorts of beautiful arrangements uh, in relatively short periods of time. You don't have to wait a long time. So landscaping with figs, uh, people can get quite creative. So I showed this picture yesterday, but if you weren't there, this is my driveway orchard. Uh, you know, it grows and it changes through the season from year to year. And so one of the reasons why, you probably already picked up, why I grow so many figs in containers is that I'm not, I'm not committed to all of them. I'm in the process of, of collecting them to try them. Uh, and the ones that don't make the cut, you know, I have my my grading criteria for what i like flavor is it going to grow well here does it have an open eye is it going to split all those stuff is it does it ripen early enough for me to get fruit things like that and the ones that earn all the points it gets a covetous spot in the ground so i've got about six trees in the ground or five trees in the ground i i lost one Um, neighbor boy helped me mow my lawn and mowed over my tree but i i love him great young man um but anyway this is this is one of the reasons why i I do it this way um whereas there are plenty of reasons why i shouldn't because uh it's a lot of work Uh, but the ones that grow grow in the tree ultimately you're going to get better flavor better production and all the rest all right we're we're hastening on here so this is a map of all of the countries that produce figs today and the darker the green the higher the production and you will notice that there is a concentration in the Mediterranean area, and that is the native region of the fig. And so that should give us some indication of the ideal climate for fig growing. Um, You will also see that in North America, there are figs grown here, and California accounts for 100% of the commercial production. And the reason is because California has the closest climate to the figs uh, native homeland. And so what that also means is that for all of us who are growing outside of the California climate, we're going to have to adapt. And we're going to have to take be a little bit more intentional if we're going to uh, experience the full potential of the figs in our garden. So when we grow figs, and I'm speaking now primarily for those of us outside of California, I'm, I'm focusing primarily on the south and southeast, as um, most of us are from here, These are the main factors to consider we're not going to be able to talk about every single variable but we're going to talk about the most important ones so cold hardiness and winter damage and then the spring feet freezes length of growing season the rain and humidity pests and diseases these are going to be the main issues we're going to have to address and they're kind of in order of priority and uh, those are some of the solutions i've just summarized there we'll talk about some of them more in detail and feel free to take pictures i know I'm, I'm going to go through this quite quickly. There, the slides are also going to be available to download as well. I've given it to AdAgra already. Uh, so there are multiple ways to get this information later, and there, there are going to be slides later that you're definitely going to want to uh, get the downloads from uh, for. So let's talk about cold tolerance okay, and winter hardiness. Figs are more temperate. Uh, they are not, or more subtropical is what I meant to say. So they do have limits when it comes to the winter. Dormant branches can survive reliably down to 15 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's for a mature tree. If you've got a young, li- new tree in the ground, it's, it's not gonna survive 15 degrees. Uh, sometimes certain varieties can go down to single digits. Uh, it's possible, depending on where you plant it, the location, we'll discuss some of that as well. But if it's just out in the open, pretty much 15 to 20 is all you can really reliably count on. But the roots can endure much colder. And so the beauty of figs is that even if it freezes to the ground, it has a capacity to grow back from the roots. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why they're uh, they can survive in much wider zones. But as we were talking before the session officially started, they are hardy to zone 8. So warmer, zone eight and warmer is kind of the sweet spot for figs. You're not gonna you can just kind of leave them out and let them do their own thing. Uh, but zone 6 and 7 is that marginal zone where you might have some years where they just survive, you don't have to protect them, they just kind of go through. But if we had a year like this year, we got down to 5, 3 degrees, single, low single digits in some of the south, yeah, it's going to be challenging, right? Well, will the roots survive in single digits? The roots will, okay. yeah. But the branches, unless you do some sort of protection, low single digits, the branches on the wood, uh, it's unlikely going to survive the, the cold. And then winter protection is required zone 5 and above. And you're like, who grows figs zone 5 and above? Well, there are people that grow lots of figs in Michigan, even up in Canada. I'll have some resources uh, later on that can point you. If you're in that region, you can go specifically to those people who kind of specialize in it for more detailed information. And zones 4 and and colder, basically, you're going to have to do it in containers or in, in a greenhouse that's heated and so forth. So really, the name of the game is Protecting the Above Ground Wood. When it comes to winter protection, and why is that? Well, let me just give you a few facts. Figs grow on current year's growth. Okay, so that is very important to remember because how the fig grows that year determines your fruit potential. It doesn't grow like some, you know, pear trees on old growth, right, and the spurs, right, on the older trees. So you have to have enough new growth and enough time for the new growth to push out and to bud in order for you to get fruit. And because of this, that's why uh, fig trees can fruit its first year, because it's on the new growth. You don't need old growth for fruit. Um, And also, this is the reason why dieback of above-ground wood does not eliminate your potential for fruit for that year, but it does curtail it. So you just have to manage that expectation and understand that that is just sometimes the reality. So the fig can regrow from the roots. The same year, if it freezes all the way back, regrow and fruit that same year but at minimum you're going to lose one month in your growing season okay this is just based on my five six years of experience or so one month and so if you have a short growing season that one month may be the determination of having fruit versus not having fruit and so what's the solution to this basically you want to select early ripening varieties so that even if you lose a month and the regrowth is uh, coming back from the roots, there's still enough time for it to ripen, right? Enough fruit at the end of the season. And then the second part of that is we need to do the best we can to protect the wood above ground from freezing. And here's a little secret. You don't have to protect the entire tree. You just need to have even six to 12 inches of wood above the ground because there are dormant nodes in there and it'll re-sprout from the wood. And just that, a few inches above ground can save you that six, or or rather the the one month delay. So it's not coming up all the way up from the roots. Okay, so that's the name of the game. When it comes to winter protection, you're protecting wood above ground and you want to have early varieties uh, so they can come back. Is that a question there? Okay, so the question is, if the wood above ground freezes back and dies, should we cut it down? The answer is yes, because it can harbor disease or pests and and various things. And it's, you know, it's dead wood. Yes. so. So to, to know if it's dead, uh, well, it's not going to leaf out in the spring if you wait that long. Or you can just do a bark test. Mm-hmm. You just scrape the bark underneath. If the cambium is still green, then it's alive. So that's the simplest way to know. Georgia. North Georgia. And okay. we had- you can wait a little while and see what survived. So and and depends on where you grow them. Because just like this picture shows you, there are times when fig trees can actually survive down to zero degrees if it was properly sited, right? If it's grown in a specific protected location, sometimes trees can survive. And invariably, if it's gonna be like zero degrees for the tree to survive, it's gonna to have to be near a shelter of some sort, a structure because the structure has thermal mass to elevate the temperature and also it blocks the wind because uh, the dry cold wind is what really damages the, the branches. So you may want to wait a little bit and just see. There might be some branches down low perhaps of the older wood that might still be able to, that still survive. So um, this is basically the number one method that I have observed. So even when I drive around in my region or places where it's a little colder, if there's a large fig tree that is alive, that has been alive for many years, many winters, almost invariably it's next to a wall, a building, a shed, a structure of some sort. Is that a question here? No. Okay. The go and the south side will give you more heat. That's right. Can you go back one for one quick Thank you. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the best things you can do is pick a site, microclimate. Right. Select a good microclimate. Now that's not always possible. Uh, you may not always be able to put it next to a building or a structure. So here are some other winter protection ideas. And because figs grow on new wood, you can prune figs very hard. And that's one of the beauties of figs. They take well to a hard pruning. So you can prune it way back, and some people put buckets, uh, some people wrap it with all sorts of things, uh, wrapping or just mulch, leaves, uh, something to just give it that little bit of protection from the wind and from the cold. Up a little bit farther north, people actually bury they're in-ground fig trees. They, because fig trees can be quite flexible, they tie them up like this, and they lay them over in a, in a grave, bury them for the winter, and then they resurrect them in the spring. Uh, and I've also heard, I've never tried this, but some people create thermal mass by just laying bricks or blocks around the base of the tree. It helps keep the lower branches uh, from completely freezing back. I'm not sure the success rate, but I've heard about that. And the last picture here, this is actually of my shed a few weeks ago. So these are my fig trees. So indoor storage. I'm in zone 7B. And so an unattached outside shed is still okay. Any colder, then, you know, all bets are off. And I also have fig trees. These are the more expensive ones in my garage. So half of the garage is figs. Half The other half is for my car. And sometimes we get tornadoes and things that come through Tennessee so the figs come in and the car goes out when the bad storm comes. That's, that's how crazy I am. Um, and so I've got buckets, uh, pots, you know, I, I, stick the, I stick leaves also. So these are some in-ground trees, some young ones that I have and how I protect them. And so if you've ever been curious why some fig trees look like, you know, this one on the left that looks so beautiful and then others look like this gangly mess, this is the result of winter dieback. So when the tree freezes to the ground, it grows back in bush form. And if it is a tree like this, you can know that it is in a climate that the tree does not freeze to the ground. All right. And so for those of us in most of the country, we're, we're really not growing fig trees. We're going to be growing fig bushes. Um, and this is where we just have to accept the you know consequences of the climate that we live in. So the springtime challenges, this is. Related, but not totally the same as the winter freezing of the branches Uh, It's talking about the issue of the late freeze and those types of things figs have a very low chill hour Requirement and so that means they can come out of dormancy prematurely And this can be a problem for those of us in the south if you have grown peaches For stone fruits. I think we've all experienced it blooms and then it freezes and we lose the whole whole crop so it can happen to figs but fortunately figs You might lose the leaves, but it sets it back and it will still regrow. Um, It just might set you back a few weeks. And so some people have greenhouses or uh, high tunnels and use containers to help mitigate the problem. But site selection can also be a help to that, uh, depending on your microclimate and things like that. And also some varieties may be less prone to that. So this is where I have to confess something. And it's an illustration of this problem. I had every intention of bringing bags of cuttings from my trees to share with all of you here, except the weather did not cooperate. We had an early... It got cold early, so my trees went to sleep dormant in October, and then it warmed up in November, mm-hmm. and my trees started leap budding out. And then you know what happened in December? Mm-hmm. Single-digit weather, and so all my in-ground trees are gone uh, to the ground. And so, I'm sorry. Even with the protection. Oh, yeah. It oh, uh, it, was it was... Yeah, I could not... I could not save them. My in and my indoor trees—they survived, but they were leafing out. And once they're leafing out, you don't want to—you don't want to take cuttings from them anymore. Uh, you have to take cuttings when they're when they're dormant because the sap is starting to flow. And so I didn't want to risk that—give people bad cuttings that don't root. That would be that would be you know not nice. So that was my problem. I apologize for that, but that just goes to illustrate some of the issues uh, that we can run into with. This type of thing, yeah. After, whether or not happens, are you yes, exactly. So the question was taking cuttings when during dormant season to bring. You can store them in your um, refrigerator. Just make sure they're wrapped up so they don't dehydrate. You can. I've stored cuttings for three, four months before I root them, and as long as they're well taken care of and not dehydrated, and you can you know soak them before you you root them. Uh, they can they can handle a bit of time in dormancy. All right, so ripening time okay so when it comes time to actually ripen the fruit figs ripen ideally in the 80 to 95 degree range if it's too cool the ripening slows way down and the fruit just has less sugar so sometimes we have figs that ripen i've had figs ripen in my garage in like december they just don't taste like much okay um but if it gets too hot maybe if you're in the desert or something like that the tree can get stressed and that can lead to fruit drop or the fruit can sour on the tree so they like that mediterranean climate you know 80 95 degree weather so you want to pick your varieties and based on your your growing season and when your spring begins you want them to ripen in the peak summer months so august tends to be peak uh fig season and you can push the season earlier july maybe even june in some places and then august and september is kind of the range that's ideal and there are ways to kind of you know Game the system a little bit, so you can have heat-retaining ground covers. So you can have uh, ground covers that's black, right? That traps more heat. It elevates the temperature, pushes your season a little bit uh, sooner, earlier. Uh, high tunnels, even low tunnels, greenhouses, uh, rotation of containers. This is what I do. We we have a little dance we call the fig shuffle. So in the sum, uh, springtime, it's warm during the day, cold during the night. So the figs come out during the day. We shuffle back in at night. Um, if that sounds like a lot of work, you are correct. Um, but because I am afflicted with figaholism, I have my addiction problem. Uh, and so in cooler zones, you really it's kind of re- required. You have to just put forth a bit more of that effort. And I'm talking like zone six and above. Is there a question in the back? Okay, so that's a good question. I'll just answer it now. We may come back to it. So the question is, if you have a good tree in the ground that is cold tolerant and hardy, can you graft another variety on it uh, to kind of glom on to the cold tolerance? The answer is maybe. But the challenge is that if that one branch that you grafted on freezes back to your graft point, you lose that variety forever. And so it's a risk, it's a risk. So I do have some grafted trees, but they're all in containers and they always come inside because I just don't want to risk losing them even if it's just that one branch that freezes and the rest of the tree is fine, you still lose that variety. So it might uh, impart some uh, increased cold tolerance, but it's certainly not guaranteed. All right, so this next point, uh, all right, go ahead. Oh, all right, go ahead. That's possible, yeah, okay. If you, if, you got the, if you got the space of putting on a trailer, yeah. So I, I have them on pallets, and then I have a little dolly, and they just slide onto the dolly. I just roll them in, roll them back out. So it's kind of like that. So we need to talk a little bit about um, Braba and main crop. Uh, does anyone here live in the Pacific Northwest? So, okay, all right. Pacific Northwest, this, this is going to apply a little bit more to you up there. And that is, there, is, there are different types of figs, okay? And one of them... Or, or different types of cropping style. The braba fig, uh, or the braba crop, rather, are figs that ripen in early summer from last year's wood. Okay, so there are, f- the majority of figs ripen on current year wood, but there are certain figs that ripen uh, first crop, early crop, on last year's wood. And the main crop then ripens on the later growth that comes later in the summer. Not all varieties do this, and the braba fruit can be like a different variety entirely than the main crop. Like, it could be, like, from two different trees. And some varieties produce a heavy crop, Breba, whereas some produce none at all, okay, and some produce both. Um, and the flavor profile can be vastly different. So what, what's so significant about this is that depending on your climate, you may want to opt for Breba-producing figs because of the length of season, your climate, things of that nature. And so from what I understand, I've never lived there. A lot of people in the Pacific Northwest prefer a variety called Desert King. They call it Desert King, but it's actually not from the desert. I don't know. Don't ask me why. But it is a Braba-producing variety. So they prune it specifically for last year's fruit because it ripens earlier in the season before apparently, you know, the later in the season and things get cool and the, and the figs don't ripe properly. Uh, so there are different ways that you uh, you can... You can figure out other strategies for fig types in your area. This then leads also to the discussion of pollination requirements. Pollination of figs is a tricky thing because figs, as was mentioned earlier, is not technically a fruit. Figs themselves are flowers, okay? And common figs are varieties that do not require pollination to ripen the fruit. That is the vast majority of figs that we are going to want to grow. Most places, only the common figs are viable to grow. But there are San Pedro-type figs, and the Desert King I mentioned earlier is a San Pedro-type, which will produce a large crop of Braba fruit that does not require pollination, but the main crop that grows on current-year wood does require pollination. So the first crop, no pollination needed. Second crop, pollination is needed. And then there are the Smyrna-type figs, which require pollination to ripen any fruit. And the Calamyrna, it's a Turkish fig. It is the main production variety that is produced in California. The dehydrated figs, fig newtons, that's the Calamyrna. And those figs must be pollinated. Okay? So that then leads to the question, how are figs pollinated? And this is always a fun part of the talk. Figs have a symbiotic relationship with a specific type of wasp. I can't pronounce the name, blastophagia senes... We just call it the fig wasp. And how it works is that a female wasp enters a male fig. It's called a capri fig. And there are male fig trees and female fig trees. The figs don't have male and female uh, biology in the same tree. So the capri fig are inedible. All they're good for is pollination. And the male capri fig, this female wasp, enters into the fruit and pollinates the fruit lays its eggs inside the galls, inside the fig fruit. And this is where the osteo comes in. They go in through the eye. The male, uh, or, or the female rather, then dies after laying the eggs. And the eggs that they had, or that they, they laid, the male wasps emerge first. And they crawl around inside looking for the females that haven't emerged yet. And they fertilize the female wasps inside. And then the males die in the fig. And when the female fig erupts, or, uh, you know, hatches, they crawl around the inside of the Capri fig, and they get covered in the pollen. And then they escape out of this male Capri fig, and now they're flying around, and they're looking for another fig to pollinate and to lay their eggs. And if there are, co- or if there are female figs around, whether they're San Pedro or Smyrna or common figs, they then can crawl into the osteo, the eye, and in that process, pollinates that female fig. And then they lay the egg, and then the female wasp dies inside the fig. So <clears throat> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but before we all get too grossed out, <laughs> fig wasps only live, can only live in certain parts of the Mediterranean and in the North America in California. So for most of us who live outside of California, this is a non-issue, all right? Um, but hate to break it to you, all of the commercially produced figs are grown in this way because they're the um, Smyrna type. However, uh, just a little tip, if you want to check if your, if your fig was uh, pollinated, you can do what's called a, a seed floating test. So viable fig seeds will sink If they've been pollinated, if you put them in the water and they sink, that means they've been pollinated. If they float, that means they haven't been pollinated. It's just an interesting way to figure it out. But the crunch of the fig, when you eat the fig and it's crunchy, those are not dead wasps. Okay, Those are (laughs) the seeds, the seeds of of the fig. And the dead wasp inside the fig actually gets broken down enzymatically and it's absorbed back into the fruit. So that does beg the question, are figs, pollinated figs, caprified figs, are they truly vegetarian? I will leave that for you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I will just mention this too. Caprified figs take on an entirely different characteristic. They're drastically different. They're bigger. They're more intense in flavor. They're juicier. And so I've never actually had one off the tree that's caprified. So this is kind of secondhand information. But to my, from the fig community, basically, once you've had it, you're like, Give me all the fig wasps and my figs that you want, because it's worth it. So I don't know. Your, your mileage may vary. One day, maybe I'll get to try it. So if it's a tree that needs pollination, yes. it's not going to be pollinated so, if we don't have the fig OK, wasps. that's right. Great question. So what if you had, say, a San Pedro or a Smyrna fig that requires pollination, and you're growing it outside of California, the fruit's just going to drop. They'll just never ripen. So if you have fig drop, I forgot who asked the question, that might have been the reason why. Okay. If it's ripening in the or it's growing at the right time and it's dropping when there's no other reason for it, it might be that it's a variety that requires pollination. All right, so the other issue here, other big issue is humidity. And that is particularly for those of us who live in a humid, humid climate, uh, these are some of the consequences of the humidity. Cracking, splitting, the, the fig can lose its flavor, its texture because it just absorbs all that water. It can mold, it can rot. Well, It's hard to control the weather, uh, unless you grow in a high tunnel or greenhouse, somehow you just really control the environment. Uh, So what do we do about it? We can pick humidity resistant varieties that can give us a better chance of ripening fruit in a rainy climate. And what's the main thing we look for? The closed eye, all right? The closed eye is the main thing that we wanna look for. And also in-ground trees with a larger mature root system handles the rain better. So if your tree is young, and it's having moisture problems, be patient. As it grows, uh, it should be able to handle it a little bit better. And if you're growing in containers like I am, you just want to make sure that you have a well-draining soil uh, media. Uh, you don't want a soggy you know, soggy pot full of water. So containers are in-ground growing. This is a big question because everyone looks at me like, why do you have all these figs in containers? So these are some of the variables that you have to consider. Size control. If you want big trees, you have to grow them in the ground, okay? You can grow big fig trees in pots, but then are you ever going to move them because they get heavy? Uh, So all of my trees, because of what I'm growing them for, I'm testing them, trialing them, and then discarding the ones I don't want. I don't want my trees to get super big. Uh, So size control is important. Climate control, so I can move them inside, right? Uh, Moisture control, I have it on a drip system. So that helps me with regularity with water as well. Uh, and also mobility. So the fig shuffle is what I was talking about earlier. And also the production. So what is interesting is that container-grown figs, you do not actually get reduced production on a, on a relative sense. If you, get, if you want an absolute you know, highest yield, then yes, you want to plant them in the ground because the tree can get bigger. But for a per unit length of branch, say you can produce more figs in a container. They've actually done some quantifi- uh, quantification of this uh, in a container, because figs actually do very well with root constriction. Uh, constricting the roots actually have shown to get them the fruit faster. And, uh, but you have to do what's called root pruning, all right? So if you're growing in a container, the roots are gonna get root bound, and you're gonna have to prune the roots back, just like you prune the branches back every couple of years. And you wanna maintain balance. Balance above the ground and balance under the ground. But because figs are so resilient, both above and below ground, they take well to, to heavy pruning, both above and below. So, you take, the so tree out of the pot? you take the tree out of the pot and you just cut away the roots to a smaller root ball. And you stick it back in and put fresh soil in. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's very true. I have about 40 uh, fig trees in pots, and okay. 15 of them bore uh, fruit in the first year. Oh, yeah. Yes, so fig trees, they're, they're great for container culture, and they can get really big in the ground or they can stay small in the pot. Yes. Fact, just to maintain uh, that's, the larger. That's purely up to you and your aesthetics. Uh, but yeah, you can prune them back, or if they have roots on the ground, you can propagate them that way uh, as well. That's more of a personal preference, but you want to make sure airflow, all the usual orchard hygiene type I've issues. Cut out them and move them to other areas that's sure. Yeah, that's that's an, one of the easiest way to propagate is just dig up the suckers with roots. Pastor Griswold? Are there October this It is, yes. So the question is, are there figs that grow multiple crops on new wood, not just on last year's wood? The, the, the answer is yes. And actually, most varieties of figs will continue to produce until the killing frost. So because you're in Houston, you're farther south, you have a long enough season that that's possible. Uh, so figs theoretically, once they start fruiting in the summer, they should continue to fruit until the cold tells them to stop. Yeah, that should be a norm. Um, Okay, another couple things about container versus in-ground growing. The container allows me to grow varieties that don't work natively in my area. So some of the California varieties, you know, I can wake them up earlier, I can protect them in the winter, whereas in the ground they would never survive. Also, it's great for grafting. So there was a question on grafting. That's how you can protect the graft, right, from freezing in the winter. That's another reason that we can do it. Uh, But it's going to be up to you, right? This is a personal decision whether you want to go in the ground or if you want to grow in container. All right, here's the part everyone's waiting for. What varieties, right? I've been talking about variety selection and all that. So before I give you my list of top varieties to start with, I want to give you some of the factors that went into creating my list. What was I looking for? And your list might be a little different depending on where you live and what you want. So number one, I want to, I'm looking for figs that are widely adaptable to cooler zones. So the, you know, the varieties that only do well in the warm climates, they're off this list. I want common figs, so no pollination required for any of the figs that I'm listing. I want figs that lean towards early ripening. There are some, the late ripening figs invariably taste better. I'm just not going to lie. That's why I have to push the seasons and different things to try to get the late ones, but they're harder to grow. Um, I'm looking for a small closed eye for the rain, humidity, split resistance, things like that. I want them to be able to grow back, have at least the potential uh, to grow back after die back to fruit the same year. Of course, we want the fig to taste good, uh, good production, ease of care, and reasonably obtainable. We don't want figs that cost an arm and a leg right, to obtain. So are you ready for them? Here we are. These are the top varietal families Four families of figs. Oh wow! I feel like I'm going to pause here a moment. Oh, I, let me get out of the way. This is this is this this is clearly this is clearly what everyone has been waiting for. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep talking. You guys keep taking the picture, and I will tell you where to get them in just a moment. So, <clears throat> four families. The first family of figs is called the Mount Etna family. Mount Etna is not a technical term. It's just a simple shorthand to describe a class of figs that have all very similar characteristics. And the best guess is that originate from the Mount Etna part of Italy. And these figs, the most famous one of this class is the Hardy Chicago or Chicago Hardy. And there are other types like it. And more often than not, if, I, if people are looking for figs, I say, you should start here. Okay? They're widely available. You can get them. Now, one thing is be careful buying figs from big box stores. Because big box stores almost invariably mislabeled their trees. And all their trees. Like, I bought a Chicago Hardy, it turned out to be something totally different. Uh, fortunately, I still liked it. It was a Celeste, actually, it's on this list. Uh, so big box stores, avoid them. It's not on my recommended place to buy fig trees. Go ahead. If we did buy pollination? No. Okay. No, they should be common figs. Okay. Yeah. So the Mount Etna family, they're a dark fig. They're relatively early, relatively cold hardy. But even within the family, there are... Variations. They might be sports of each other or close relatives. Uh, The underlying one, Malta Black, is a variety that I myself prefer. It's super robust, super high-producing. It tastes good. It's a workhorse fig. So this is the type of fig that just keeps on trucking, you know, like no matter what happens, it just comes back year after year. The second family is the Celeste family, and I don't really even know if if I can really class it as a family, but the Celeste fig is the most common fig in the South. Uh, sometimes called the Tennessee mountain fig. There is an improved Celeste, uh, but you have to be careful. There are many different types of figs that's called improved Celeste, uh, but they're also quite early and they tend to be more, they, they produce more in a determinate style. So Celeste tends to ripen all of its fruit in roughly a one month period. So if you're doing you know, processing, things like that, Celeste might be a good option for you. Whereas say the Mount Etna, Malta Black, it's just a little bit of fruit all throughout the season. There's also the LSU family, and LSU stands for Louisiana State University. This is very interesting, a lot of history here. The LSU program, they actually had a fig breeding program to try to create uh, market varieties for commercial production. And so they were doing a lot of breeding, a lot of growth, and they used a Celeste as one of the main parents, as a good base for all of their various you know, uh, hybrids and so forth. And they have a lot of different varieties. Some of them are light, some of them are dark. You'll have to do your homework, right? But my favorite are the two that I underlined there, LSU Tiger and LSU. It's pronounced Ollier, but it's spelled Hollier. And those two varieties are some of my favorites. You can uh, find a lot of information about them online. LSU Tiger. Uh, Tiger, It's like a big Celeste. Uh, It's a sweet fig, big, big. uh, The Ollier fig is a a honey fig. It's yellow and tastes like honey question when you say hybrids, I mean genetically modified, no 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 they just no no it's just different. that's right it's just a parent here and they somehow you know cross-pollinated them yeah no genetically modified organisms here so number four is the bordeaux family and this comes from france and uh, ron de bordeaux is one of the top figs i would recommend everyone start with it is delicious it's very it's a small fig it's round like like a golf ball uh, very early, and then Violet de Bordeaux is similar. It tastes a little better. It's later, not as hardy, and then some of these other varieties as well. So these are the four classes of figs that I recommend people start there, uh, pick from there, and then move on from there. Yes? Question. The brown turkey. I, um, All right, the brown turkey. Yeah. <laughs> or the Black Mission. I okay, the Black Mission. If you live in California, you can grow the uh, the Black Mission. It's not as good for the rest of the country. And um, brown turkey, there are three types of brown turkey. I don't want to go down this rabbit trail, actually. But let me just be real clear. The California brown turkey is big, giant eye, and tastes like water. So you can tell I'm not a big fan. Um, There is the southern brown turkey, which more or less, I could have added them in the Celeste family. It's, It's very similar to Celeste. And I have a brown turkey tree. But I think the Celeste is better in most cases. And then there's the English brown turkey, which is more cold tolerant. And supposedly it's a bit more high class. I've never grown them. So uh, that's why it's not on the list. And those are three distinct classes of figs. They're different. They're all called brown turkey. It's more of your basic just sweet fig. Yeah. If you've had a Celeste, it tastes almost the same. Yeah, it is a good fig. It's good for processing. It's not a top-tier fig. You can find it in many places, but they're often mislabeled. So you just got to be careful. Yes. We're getting there. I have a whole slide with all of the trusted retailers. We will get there. Here are my other top varieties. Okay, now this is where we're moving upscale. All right, and this is, we're getting to, you know, we were talking Toyotas and Hondas. This is a little bit more BMW level. All right. So... Other top varieties: Texas Peach is a—it's a, admittedly a difficult one, but it is my personal favorite. Uh, it goes in the ground. Smith is—it's uh, not so high class anymore; it's more ver, uh, more available. Floria is one of the most cold tolerant, one of the earliest figs. It's not the sweetest, but if you want early, Floria is the one. It comes from Bulgaria, I think. Um, Olympian, another one that's actually quite popular in the Pacific Northwest. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Green Minchurinska also comes from Europe, one of my favorites. Borgeso Greece, White Madeira number one, Colonel Lippmann's Black Cross. The last one comes from Florida. Numbers five through eight on this list are continue are considered among the higher tier flavor profiles of figs, and so they're going to be a little bit more expensive, a little bit harder to grow, a little bit hard to find, but they are the more they're like the you know upper end of attainable for normal people but like you get the quality of the luxury you know it's like you get a high-end toyota camry it's like it's practically a lexus you know i'm saying so it's like that all right so um these are some of the varieties so just we're wrapping up here a few quick notes uh some of the diseases there are some diseases for figs that probably we should that that may afflict you i'm just going to cover two of the most common and the good news is neither of them you you really need to do much of anything Okay, so fig rust, it afflicts most of us in the south, late in the season, the humidity gets to the, the leaves, but it doesn't affect the tree. And so for most of us, we just let them defoliate the tree because it's about to go to dormancy anyway. It doesn't affect the fruit. It doesn't hurt it for the next year. So some people want to spray and they do copper and uh, you know, whatever, I don't think it's necessary. Okay, that's my personal opinion. Many people agree with me. Uh, just let the leaf drop off. It doesn't hurt the tree or the fruit. Now, fig mosaic virus it is transmitted by a fig mite, and the fig mite originally in California because of all the commercial production, and since all of the figs kind of propagated from there, more or less, 99% of the figs that you're getting has some affliction of fig mosaic virus. And if you know about viruses and plants, there's no cure. Once it's in, you can't you can't give it a you know antiviral, right? So the good news is that in most cases. The FMV does not severely dis, you know, affect the fig enough to make it so that it doesn't produce. If you have good culture, good, good nutrition, enough moisture, uh, the trees, quote unquote, can outgrow the effect. It still has the virus, but it can outgrow the debilitating effects and it doesn't affect the fruit. Now, some, partic- some trees can be severely afflicted. And in that case, you're just going to pull it out. Okay, we want to go back to previous screen real quick. And so for fig mosaic virus, the best thing you can do is get as healthy of a tree as you can and then take care of it. Give it good nutrition. If it's in the ground, it's going to have a better chance than if it's in a container just because of, you know, the, the soil is always a better place to grow things than in a container. All right, are we ready to move on? Okay, so a couple quick notes about the birds and the vermin. My biggest pest problem are the birds. I have a mockingbird that literally mocks me. <laughs> he's in the fig tree. He's eating my figs. I walk up to him, and he doesn't fly away. He just kind of hops around, and he's like, oh, try and catch me. And so what we do, in, uh, this is what I do. We have these organza bags. They're the wedding favor bags. I bag the highest value fruit. I put the bags on, and I have a 7-year-old, so I make her do it. Um, but you can also net them if, if you have a situation where that works. We have uh, rodents and possums and raccoons. This raccoon was from last summer. We trapped him in our, in our fig trees. Um, this is a humane trap, so we don't, we don't kill them. Uh, and then also, get a dog. <laughs> that's another way. One good thing, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's an interesting one. I haven't heard of that. So hummingbird feeder in the tree can keep other, tre- other birds away. yes i'm familiar yeah i I have i know i have no problems with 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 that statement i've got little children and we're yeah that's kind of difficult to do uh but nevertheless one thing i want to mention is that deer i have a big deer problem in the rest of my garden deer do not bother my figs because of the latex it burns them they don't so it's kind of deer proof which is great um preservation i'm gonna let other people talk about that but figs are great for preserving freezing freeze drying canning dehydrating preserves jams etc propagation is a big topic Um, cuttings are the easiest or the cheapest way but slow uh, to to propagate but you can trade with people you can get them quite uh, affordably uh air layering is my preferred method which is you root out on the tree and when you sever it from the tree it's already got a root ball and you just have another tree that you've cloned. And then grafting. All right, I know some of you are, are eager to get to the grafting class. Grafting is one of the easiest ways. You, you get the cutting, and you can graft onto a, a mature rootstock, and you get fruit even faster. And you can have your little frankenfig, right, with all the different varieties on one, one tree. As long as during the growing season. You'll have to wait until the wood starts to lignify, not too early, but usually, at least in Tennessee, around end of May and June, and then until about... Uh, End of end of July, yeah. So that's my preferred method. Uh, figs grow, root so easily; that's great uh, for propagation. So I'm I'm wrapping up here. So my fig trees pay for themselves. Okay. So how do I do that? So Figbid is the site. Okay. This is one of the best places you can go to do your research. Um, you have to be careful. You have to know what you're doing because this is like an eBay, but only for figs. All right. And so. Every year I prune my trees and instead of throwing my cuttings away, I sell them or put them up for auction on eBay and it pays for my, my fig addiction, right? Yeah. So it pays for my drip system. It pays for the new trees and you know, I'm able to uh, scale up in that way. So you can do both ways. Oh. You can just sell the cuttings, which is more what I do now and let somebody else do the rooting. But in the past I've done air layers and I sell the air layers, and the best sale I've had, a little six inch tree rooted, with like two leaves on it, 120 bucks. Wow. And so, it can, be, it can be done, right? It's a little side hobby, but supply and demand, a lot of people are doing it, so prices are coming down. Yes? Yeah, I actually have uh, several um, There, yeah, so he, here's someone who's actually doing it. I do it more on a hobby scale, some people actually do it as a legitimate business, and, and they can actually have quite a bit of revenue. Um, and so Figbid is the place to go. This is how I pay for my figs and how my figs pay for themselves. So, here, last few slides resources. Take your pictures or download them later. These are some of the trusted places to buy. S- beware um, of eBay sellers. Okay. Big box stores, I gave you the disclaimer about them already. Huh? I don't sell. I mean, on Figbid, but once in a while. I'm not an eBay seller. I don't sell on eBay, but Figbid. Figbid is okay. On eBay, the actual eBay site itself, if they're selling figs, run away, okay? Some of them are like, we're just going to sell you fig seeds. It's like, uh, (laughs) no, Um, that's not how they grow, okay? Like, you're going to get, you know, whatever. It's not going to grow into true to kind. So eBay sellers tend to be scams. They don't sell true to type. You know, some of them are, you know, outside the U.S. and you're not going to get living plant material from them. Uh, so these are vari- these are places that are some of them are professional nurseries. Some of them are more individual. Uh, some of them are um, like the auction site, FigBid. These are places you can check out. These are trusted sources. And then this is a resource and community page. These are forums that are available for you to interact with people, ask questions, do your research, look for information about your specific region, all right? So for those of you up farther north, mountain figs on here, as well as the Food Garden Live up there. Uh, One is in West Virginia. The other guy's in Canada. So specific information on cold weather fig growing. All right, my last slide. These are the fig YouTube channels. There used to be like one or two. Now there are like dozens of them. And just beware. You see them biting into that juicy jam on a tree. You just might get afflicted with fig fever. So there are a lot of some of them are informative like they're just doing reviews like this is the fig I picked, this is what it looks like here's how much it weighs, you know, you you see all the beautiful pictures, some of them are more technique oriented like how do you graft different rooting techniques Uh, this is how you do an air layer, this is you know, for my region, like all sorts of stuff, I learn a lot from them and so that takes us to the end of our presentation, I'm a little bit over, I appreciate all the questions, I'm happy to talk more later but we have another seminar coming here shortly last question, Mr. Dysinger. (sighs) <sighs> I know. We don't have to go. Yeah, we, we, talk about it yeah but SWD, uh, spotted wing drosophila it's a big problem. That was a bit beyond the time I had, but we'll talk about it afterwards, but it is an issue. Go ahead and let's, let's pray, and we will end so we can have the next seminar here. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful fig fruit that you have created for us to enjoy. And for those of us who are going to be growing them in our home orchards, may you give us success and may we learn the lessons as you have outlined in scripture from this beautiful fruit. Be with us the rest of this conference now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,